Dan Brown. I'm the founder and CEO of Algorithmic Intuition. I'm Sudhir Reddy, head of engineering at Esper, as well as the host of this show. There's a device for that. Hi, wonderful device innovator. Today, I'm talking to Dan Brown. No, not the Dan Brown who wrote all those awesome books, but another Dan Brown who's also equally fascinating and is the founder, president, and CEO of Algorithmic Intuition, or AI2 for short. They have a product called CareMate that helps remote clients and their caregivers and their families be able to monitor and take action based on things that have happened to them. First off, pleasure having you on the podcast. I've looked at your website and you're doing some amazing work with client monitoring and being able to get the vitals of the client over to the devices as well as providing monitoring capabilities. But how did you get into tech? What's the first tech device that you ever used? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I came out of the military. So once I left the military, my first job was with British Telecom. And at that time, you didn't really have the internet, but we were doing transactional banking electronically and transferring money across the network from New York to London, as well as they had what is known as an X25 host. And that's where you had companies that would have their software running on. To give you an idea of my age, you could literally open a door and walk into these devices to work on them. You know, I spent five years there. And as you saw, just in that five-year period, going from this environment down to fiber optic cable, doing sonnet to 3, 12, 48, uh, now we're way beyond that even. But before I left BT, we were doing 3 and 12 optical networks across the water. So that was kind of really my first forte into technology. And then you ended up going from a Motorola smartphone, uh, the big block that you carried around what we have today with your smartphones. So it's yeah. been quite a ride. Yeah. And it's amazing. The smartphone that you carry around in your pocket today is much more powerful than that building you walked into that was called a computer back then. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> By a factor of a hundred or a yeah. thousand. Yes. Yes. That's how devices move yeah. and change. And yeah. should I assume that the most used device that you have today is your smartphone? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And what other than your smartphone would be the next most used device in your life? Uh, the laptop, right? The yeah. two are, are with me at all times. Most meetings today, you know, it really started uh, around COVID, but continues today doing what we're doing here today. They're face-to-face via Zoom or you know, Google Meets or whatever platform you want to utilize, but this is kind of today's norm. Yeah. And in your world of medical monitoring client monitoring, et cetera. What is the most interesting technology you see emerging right now? Kind of where we fit is bringing all of the real-time information from the client to those that need it most, whether it be the family members, caregivers, or even doctors. But you're seeing companies that are formed that are kind of your collaborators. They're pulling in, whether it be data from single source devices like blood pressure, glucose monitoring, uh, devices like ours that do multiple monitoring, fall detection, arrhythmias, uh, ECG, all of that. And then putting that and doing the integration, if you will, into your health medical records so that everybody has access to this data and they're not stuck in silos. I see that's the biggest part of 
bringing technology into the medical world is breaking down those silos and sharing that data and delivering that data in a real-time manner to those that need it the most. And so technology has been around a long time, but you've still seen these barriers where, you know, this doctor is not getting the real-time data from this because they're in a different medical group, uh, if you will. I see a lot of that is coming together, which makes our technology much more useful now because now it's not siloed into only this care provider gets to receive that data. Yeah. And I have a real example of that. Just recently, my eye doctor, you know, I go to an eye doctor and of course I have my regular uh, doctor as well. And I went to my regular doctor and they said, hey, here's some notes your eye doctor put into the thing and I couldn't see them, which there was never possible before. So real yeah. life example. Yep. Okay. There you go. Um, so, so I, it's cardiology and other things like that, right? You would like to know immediately. Yeah, the technology's been there. Uh, a lot of it, as I said, has been in uh, point products, right? Mm-hmm. They focus on SpO2 or blood pressure or something like that. So we're just pulling all of that together along with activity and fall detection so that you get the whole picture of what's going on. That's right. And there's some fascinating things on the website that I read that you can even detect which room your patients are in and where they're going and things. So that's fascinating technology. Sure. And now our technology allows you to leave the home and constantly be monitored as well. So uh, everything is on a a mobile device. So if you ever do lose connection, yes, your data is stored for up to 24 hours. But yes, now we also, with our latest release, uh, offer up GPS, real GPS. So if you leave your home, you're still being tracked. Amazing. We'll get to the product in just a second. But I hear there's a real interesting story about your job, your career, what attracted you to all of this. And I was asked specifically to ask you this. Oh, really? Again, I started British Telecom, then I went out and became an entrepreneur. So I did several companies. Most of them were all in telecom related. And then when the telecom collapse occurred, I was fortunate enough to be recruited into a venture firm. Aeropath was separated from or spun out of E-Trade. So I spent about 12 years with Aeropath doing the financing of companies, sitting on the boards of companies, as well as I had the flexibility to also start. If there was an idea that people had, I could get involved and help start that company as well. From there, after the 12 years, uh, we didn't go raise a new fund. We were very successful. However, I ended up taking over a portfolio company, which was really the very first, I would call it AI company that really got acquired or that really had an impact. So that was known as Sensor Platforms. So when I got there, they were doing weird things like trying to make fancy remote controls where you can roll it and it changes the channel or flip it, change volume. But what we saw immediately is we had very, very strong engineering talent. We just needed a new direction. So we went down the concept of sensor fusion and context awareness. So what we were able to do is when you look at a smartphone, you have nine axes of sensors on there, right? Excel, mag, gyro. We utilized that to do things like uh, indoor navigation and subway systems, right? Where most people wanted to get rid of magnetic anomalies. We wanted those magnetic anomalies because that helped you navigate in subway systems where, you know, back then it was still... GPS wasn't real good at uh, navigating you through the Japanese subway system. So we did a lot of training on it. And uh, lo and behold, uh, a lot of the smartphone companies needed this capability, but they weren't going to buy our software. So we ended up integrating it into some of the chip manufacturers that were selling into the smartphone devices. And we were able to sell that company. So that was a, a great return for people. 
And during that period, then I really looked at where AI could go, what markets were really not being addressed, spent some time in Asia, as well as other parts of the world, really looking at uh, what could be the big impact and really uh, elderly remote monitoring kind of came to the top, uh, particularly out of Asia, where the environment has changed there, where both uh, the sons and daughters are working. Uh, nobody's taking care of the elderly. They didn't have the infrastructure like you do in the U.S. for nursing homes and assisted care facilities. Uh, so technology like this made a lot of sense. So in 2016, then I went ahead and launched AI2. Uh, I had 18 months where I couldn't do anything with sensors or with AI after selling uh, SPI. So at the end of that 18 months, then uh, which was January of 2016, I was able to start AI2. That's a fascinating story. And that uh, also talks about the genesis of CareMate, I assume, and how you came up with the product there. Yeah. Are you primarily focused in the Asia markets or are you also in the U.S. markets? Or No, we're predominantly focused in the U.S. and Canada right now. We have okay. not entered the Asian market yet. Ah, the huge world out there waiting for you. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so before we go into talking about the company, what is one motto or saying or something that you hold dear that you usually talk to your employees in your company about or you like to tell other people just a learning for them? <laughs> Very simple. Never give up. As an entrepreneur, uh, you get kicked around all the time and you're always told no, right? But you never give up. My son and daughter both use it in their professional lives. Uh, when they do speeches, they always say, hey, the greatest thing we've ever learned is never give up. Things get bumpy out there and they get difficult. But if you believe in what you're doing, just don't give up. Just keep pushing. That's amazing. And a lot of our uh, the listener of this podcast is usually somebody who's innovating on devices and wants to build something new and innovative for their customers. And this is a great one that I think they can all hold dear. Awesome. So if you look at CareMate, and I've had the pleasure of spending some time on the website and looking up what it does, it's a combination of a device and software as well as dashboard that you can use to monitor, as well as for people to monitor other people's statistics and things. So tell right. me about how that idea came about for you. Earlier, you mentioned elderly healthcare and things. And how did you go from that to the product concept? What brought you to that? So initially, when algorithmic intuition, or we call it AI2, when we initially started that, we were only going to focus on the AI open architecture and build a platform that we could license to other companies that were trying to come in and utilize AI. And we did have success with a Fortune 500 company doing sleep monitoring for children, for example. They utilized our platform because we utilize deep neural nets instead of relying on statistical-based algorithms. So that was a big difference. So we were able to take their data and give them higher accuracy than they were able to do with their own algorithm. So that was the whole premise behind how AI2 started. Then what we learned is to go out and really get the data that we needed because we wanted to address things that we learned when we were trying to build the company or form the company is fall detection is by far the number one fear of people living in home or in assisted living facilities. So we wanted to address fall detection. And the only way that we could do that is we tried to work with off-the-shelf hardware companies, but everybody wanted to put it on the wrist or wear it somewhere else. So we ended up building our own hardware. And I will tell you from day one, when I started this company, I did not want to have hardware because a lot of money goes into hardware. And typically, 
you don't always get that return. But we decided to go down that road. So we built the hardware patch uh, that you see today that's worn on the core of your body and then combine that with our algorithms. And that's how the whole solution kind of came together. And then that allowed us to go into your home care, your assisted living facilities with the full solution. So once we had the hardware and software, then obviously we had to have a dashboard so that they could manage it and monitor it and all of that. So we went from being just a software AI development company to the full solution. Love it. Love that story. And having talked to so many device innovators out there, I can tell you the one pattern that I see that is fairly consistent with all of the innovations is you start with an idea that typically you either say is all software or, hey, there's just this touch point that I can use any old commercial hardware to go get done. So I'm going to go buy off the shelf hardware. And then it so quickly evolves into custom hardware and building your own hardware and operating that at scale and things. Uh, that's a very typical scenario, and we at Esper are, are here to help along those journey, regardless of whether you're building hardware or you're using off-the-shelf hardware. Yeah, there's not a VC out there that'll say if they did an A round of financing, that they got liquidity on the idea in the company that they funded for that A round, right? Exactly. You're yeah. always changing. Tell me a little bit about where the product is now in terms of its life cycle and its capabilities. And then we'll talk a little bit further on where you want to see what your vision is for the product. Sure. So right now we are live in the U.S. as well as in Canada. And the device today, we are offering it up to our clients as a wellness device, meaning we are monitoring their ECG. We can show them on the graphs any heart arrhythmias in real time. You do not have to be at rest. A lot of the competition asks you to be at rest or Two to three minutes before you take your ECG readings, we are continuously bringing in the ECG readings as well as arrhythmia data, respiratory data, temperature, and then you also have your activity or your posture. Are you lying down, sitting, standing? And then we take that and be able to give you a much higher accuracy for fall detection than what you see today with your pendant devices that really kind of is the big 800-pound gorilla out there are these pendants that people wear. Um, but the false positives and the inaccuracies of those devices really still offer a lot of concern to people utilizing them. So you see a lot of people, they have them, but they're not wearing them. What we do that is different with fall detection is sensor fusion. You're looking at your ECG data. You're looking at your accelerometer data. And, you know, if the accelerometer data says, hey, Dan just fell, the heart rate should be changed, right, immediately. Either my heart rate has gone up or I fainted, my heart rate's gone down. Mm -hmm. But there needs to be, you you need to combine multi-sensory inputs to get you the most accurate single output. And so we've been doing that since 2012 when most people haven't figured that out. And that's really where our accuracies really have come in and shown themselves, if you will, compared to our competitors. So that's where we are today. We're offering it up as a wellness device. The 510K filing is underway. We delayed it for the arrhythmias. So we did add the arrhythmias to it. Uh, We have a lot of cardiologists out there. Some are on our advisory board. Some are working with us through their clients to where the real-time data coming in via the ECG chips that we utilize is so valuable to them that uh, they said, please don't file the 510K and then have to go back and do the arrhythmias. 
why can't you just do everything right now? Even though it's going to take you a little longer to get it through, there is nobody that's offering real-time continuous monitoring for arrhythmias. You have iRhythm out there, but that's not real-time. So that's really what they were looking for. Post-surgical, hey, you had open-heart surgery. We send you home. They have no way of monitoring them. Hey, now we can send them home with the device, and we can see exactly what's going on in real time. And most arrhythmias happen when you are under stress or in active mode. So having to be at rest for two to three minutes to be able to take your ECG kind of defeats the whole purpose of doing remote client monitoring, right? So that's a big difference for us. Wonderful. And I assume that you're having seeing successes with adoption in the market and things. Where do you want to take the product? What, what, what do you think are the next several steps or the next several years looking like? Post-completing the 510K, we will add a couple other features to it. But I think overall, we've done a very good job of capturing what we needed to enter the market that we initially set out to do. So when you look at the competitors, they all set out to work through hospitals and have it part of a prescription from a doctor. So the doctor prescribes the technology, they go home, they wear it. We have always tried to address this from the home care and assisted living, which are huge markets and are much more aligned with the overall solution that we're offering. So the family members have an app on their phone. They can see on a 24-hour basis what's going on with their loved one. And it allows the elderly individuals to stay at home longer and give the family peace of mind. So our tagline has always been, we are there when you can't be. And it gives them a peace of mind. So that now that technology and smartphones are actually rolling into the elderly environments, the timing is perfect. Uh, so from day one, again, you know, we've designed it for this market. So it's rechargeable. It's reusable. Competitors are disposable, right? We are not. So you buy the hardware once, you get to continually wear it, and it's real-time updates. The data is all controlled by the family members as well as caregivers. So we sell it as a B2B. So your home care agencies, uh, your big nationwide franchises, as well as assisted living facilities, sell this to the families. And they use it because they're overworked in a lot of cases. In others, you have these home care agencies that cannot bring on any more clients because they can't get qualified help, right? So they're done growing their business. So now they've all come up with, hey, let's offer up remote client services to where we will sell this to the family. Yes, they will actually monitor the dashboard now where before they weren't. They only use the dashboard to uh, for provisioning purposes, right? The family is the one that does all the monitoring of the individuals, right? You don't need the dashboard at a home care agency. They're not sitting there monitoring the dashboard 7 by 24. They use it to turn on the services and the family is still responsible for monitoring. Now, since they cannot grow their businesses any longer, they're actually looking at utilizing remote client monitoring, offering up services to where they have somebody monitoring the dashboard and selling that service to the family as well. So that is all stuff that our technology is at least coming around and helping provide and giving them options to grow their own businesses. That's amazing. It's a fascinating story on how you're doing enabling providers as well as patients' families to go do these new things, etc. So tie this back with what you had said earlier about the barriers are breaking, the silos are breaking in the medical record side of things and 
collaboration between provider side of things. Is there anything in that area that you're looking at, especially with the power of machine learning and artificial intelligence that you can derive from that? Well, yeah. It, well, the big thing is, is now that uh, the software has gone through its trials, the accuracy has been validated. The next step for us, and which we've already done in some instances, is to integrate with these EMR companies, right? So you have point-click care and assisted living, not trying to do a commercial for them, but they're kind of the big gorilla there. And then you have a company, speaking of gorillas, called Health Gorilla, which allows you to integrate with them. And then they go integrate with the Epics, the Cernas, uh, the point-click cares, and the other folks so that we don't have to spend all of our engineering resources integrating with these different agencies. Because if you take an Epic, for example, big in the hospitals, well, Kaiser of San Jose versus Kaiser Mountain View may be utilizing it completely different, right? So it puts the onus on us to try and integrate into these different platforms. So now that our data has been validated, accuracy is there. If you look at our confusion matrices that people validate, we're at 98.6% accurate. Nobody's even close to that level of accuracy. So that's all good. It's been validated. Now what we're doing is going through the 510K, but now our data can be readily integrated into these different platforms. And that's really what I see as the big barriers. That's, you know, the health EMR companies have been around for a long time, but they've never opened up all the silos, right? They've kind of attacked this little piece, this little piece, this little piece. Uh, two years ago, I was meeting with the University of San Francisco and uh, the doctors, when I told them what we were trying to do, they just laughed and said, you do understand that we still walk around with pen and paper, don't you? And I was shocked by that. And I think a lot of that is now going away. And that is where the technology that we're offering becomes much more valuable to the entire medical community. Because, for example, my mom is 93. When she goes to the Mayo Clinic for her checkups in the Midwest, I can tell you the first thing they ask is, because we provide a daily report every morning at 6 a.m. And it compares you to what you did yesterday or what you've been doing over the last 21 or 30 days. They all loved seeing those reports. They make the decisions on what to do with the data they see, but they can see exactly what's going on, right, in real time. And they love them. So when she goes in once a month for her checkups because she's got a bad heart, they love it. Hey, here's all the data. Which brings me to you have this large fleet of devices, these medical devices that people wear themselves, as well as uh, I understand there's a little hub piece to it. Regardless of all that, there's a large set of these devices that are out in the field that you and customers buy and things. Tell me about the background of the technology you use to manage those fleet of devices, to get that data, to bring that into your models and your learning mechanisms, all of that. What does the actual infrastructure look like? Yeah, so the infrastructure we moved away from, we were utilizing, so if you look on our website, you probably saw this white case that was that it used to be a Raspberry Pi that you plug into the wall again off the shelf. Everybody utilized, but they're very difficult to supply now because the demand got high. So what we did is we moved to smartphones, low cost smartphones uh, that we get. We utilize those in two ways. One, you put a SIM card in, costs us ten dollars per month for AT and T or Verizon or whoever. You get unlimited data, unlimited voice. You get one with a SIM card. And you get one without a SIM card. The one without a SIM card, 
is nothing more than your Bluetooth or Wi-Fi extender, but Bluetooth extender, right? The issue is we utilize BLE off the patch to the device, and then you utilize Wi-Fi out to the cloud. Bluetooth is Bluetooth, right? So interference such as, uh, you know, steel studs in uh, apartment complexes, uh, cement walls in Florida cause issues. So Bluetooth is supposed to go up to 30 feet, but you can't always guarantee that. So what we do is we offer up smart devices, which are actually uh, less expensive than a Raspberry Pi. We offer them up without SIM cards and you just place them in your home and it goes through and uh, ties in all your communications back to the Wi-Fi so that in your home, you, you don't lose communication. And then the one device that has the SIM card, when you leave the house, if you wish, some people want to, some people don't feel like taking it with them all the time. But if you leave the house to go shopping or something, uh, you just put it in your purse and uh, you're constantly being communicated because it'll automatically switch from Wi-Fi to LTE. And if you wish to leave it at home, then while you're out, all of your data is being captured onto the device. And when you come back in, it's all time stamped and put back in so that the next day when your reports come out, you're not missing this block of time that you were out of the house, right? So that's the infrastructure. It goes up to an AWS cloud where the algorithms reside in the cloud. And then it goes down to either your mobile device for family members. So they use our mobile app and they can see what's going on with their loved ones uh, continuously. And then you have the dashboard, which gives you much more detail around everything. So that's the entire uh, product, if you will. Wonderful. And I assume you have some kind of uh, over-the-air updates to these devices, to the actual wearable devices. Absolutely. That you push through and things. The, the mobile app, the, the hubs, the wearable device, everything is over-the-air updates. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, it's an amazing piece of technology as well as a solution, more importantly, to your clients that you're shipping. Tell me what excites you about the next few years. Where do you think the entire medical technology industry is looking to go? You know, you have 10,000 people a day turning 65, right? So as things are going forward, the client base is more comfortable with technology, I want to say, right? My mom at 93 refuses to use a smartphone. It was hard enough just to get her to, to go to a flip phone. So you see technology now is entered into more and more people's lives. We're going into Australia as well. 83% of your people over 70 utilize smartphones today. When you look at Canada, kind of similar. They're in the high 70s. When you look at the U.S., we're the lowest, by the way. Uh, so... Uh, I see that, that technology now is becoming better accepted, if you will, into our market demographics. So that's just going to make it easier for us to grow. When you look at overall technology in the medical, I think if you look and you look at all of the, the market experts out there for 2023, it all comes down to remote patient monitoring, remote client monitoring, combined with multi-sensory AI. So if you look at the report that came out the other day, you can find it on LinkedIn, the top 41 things that are going to happen in 2023 around technology and business, right? It's not just technology, it's business and technology. We're two of the top 10, right? Multi-sensory AI, which we've been doing forever. Uh, the other folks, I can guarantee you are not able to, to have our track record in that. And then remote client monitoring or remote patient monitoring, tying all of that together. 
So to give you an idea where we're different, just on fall detection, for example, why people like our fall detection versus the other, we can tell you that you fell. You get an alarm that you fell. You get an alarm if you get right back up. We'll tell you how long you were on the ground. And we'll tell you the severity of the fall. So utilizing your, the gravity reading or the Gauss reading off the accelerant, we can tell you the severity of the fall. Other people just say, uh, we think you fell, right? So we're giving you the entire landscape and the entire picture. And when we were doing our trials where that matters is a lady had slid out of her bed in an assisted living. The nurses were notified. They went in, checked. Sure enough, she was on the ground. She couldn't get back up, but she had only slid out of bed. So even though it was two in the morning, they said, hey, is there any way that we know the severity? And so we told them, yeah, she just slid out. Otherwise, they were going to have to put her in an ambulance, take her to the emergency room to have her checked out because they found her on the floor. And that's just what their protocol is, right? You have to do that. So imagine how much money you saved and time by just saying, hey, look, she just slid out of bed and she kept saying, hey, I'm fine, I'm fine. But the issue is most people that fall will lie and say they didn't fall, right? So now you have all the data that you can go back and, uh, and utilize. Amazing. Awesome. Dan, if people are interested in, in the product or in your technologies, et cetera, where would they go to find out more? What can they look at? Well, you can either go into AI2 and click on products, which will take you to CareMate, or you can go into care-mate.co, and that will uh, take you directly to the remote client monitoring solution. And then there you have contact support, uh, and you can just put in your email and contact That was Dan Brown from Algorithmic Intuition. And their client monitoring solution is so fascinating, starting from a wearable that their clients wear on their bodies and it's with them everywhere they go, which then communicates through various mechanisms, including Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and the open internet and wireless technologies to then provide the data to a AI algorithm that then synthesizes this and helps their caregivers as well as family take action when they need to. Fascinating story and another case of great innovation with devices. This is There's a Device for That and you can get a new episode every Tuesday. Please be sure to subscribe. There's a Device for That is brought to you by Esper, the industry's first and leading DevOps platform for device fleets. If you're interested in learning more about how Esper can help you better manage your device fleet, reach out. Go to esper.io or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at esperdev, at E-S-P-E-R-D-E-V. Thank you for listening. I'll see you on the next episode of There's a Device for That.